0: Happy New Year again. We are now officially living in an election year. Too soon? There's <laughs> like a lot of groans as, uh, as I said that, so sorry if, it's, uh, if this is a bit too soon, but critical to any election process or any presidential campaign is a good slogan. So throughout American history, presidential campaigns have done this in a number of different ways. Using the candidate's name in the slogan is, is one of the, the more uh, popular ones. So, Ulysses S. Grant, in his uh, run for a second presidential election, uh, had uh, the slogan, grant us another term. So clever. <laughs> keep cool and keep coolidge. Do, D-E-W, do it for Dewey, Thomas Dewey. Let's make it a Landon slide for Alfred Landon. I like Ike, and four years later, I still like Ike. And of course, Biden spelled B-Y-E-D-O-N, which leads well into slogans aimed at the other candidate and not just about themselves. In your guts, you know he's nuts. Does anybody know who that was for? Barry Goldwater. Roosevelt for ex-president. Down with King George... And a variety of slogans like make America sane again, make America literate again, make America moral again, make America just decent again. There's also just a lot of America. America first in 1916, America first in 1920, America first in 1992, come home America in 1972, let's make America great again, Ronald Reagan Let America be America again, John Kerry. It's time to change America, believe in America, and restore America. And last, just for fun, Joe Biden's campaign slogan, no malarkey. (laughs) I didn't actually know that that was one of his slogans, but great. So oddly enough, when Jesus begins his ministry, the Gospels launch his career with a familiar political slogan mark chapter 1 verse 14 says jesus came to galilee proclaiming the good news of god and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god has come near repent and believe in the good news good news or gospel to us this sounds very religious but it's actually language borrowed from the propaganda of the Roman Empire. There's an inscription from before the birth of Jesus about Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman Empire that had conquered most of the known world. This inscription says that providence sent to us and to those after us a savior who put an end to war, And brought order to all things. The birth of Caesar, the Son of God, was the beginning of good news to the world through him. The good news of Rome was, yes, this level of peace and stability, but it was a peace that came to us or came to the world by way of violence the threat of violence, and Roman domination. There's actually quite an amazing portrayal of this kind of good news in the Marvel Avenger movies. While walking through the fire, death, and destruction caused by the villain Thanos and his army, the character Ma proclaims, "'Hear me and rejoice. "'You have had the privilege of being saved by the great Titan.'" You may think this is suffering, but no, it is salvation. Smile, for even in death you have become children of Thanos. Then arriving on earth, he proclaims, Hear me and rejoice. You are about to die at the hands of the children of Thanos. Can you hear the echoes of religious language in these proclamations mixed together with political propaganda and violence? That's the good news of Marvel's supervillain. That was also the good news of Rome. So, when Jesus comes along proclaiming good news about God's kingdom or God's empire, we might be a little confused. Is Jesus' good news and Caesar's good news the same thing? Like, are they on the same team? Or is Jesus here to replace Caesar? By also using violence, war, and rebellion to liberate his people. Certainly, no one could have imagined or believed that the good news of God would look like Jesus' nonviolent way of love, where he would be killed and presumably lose. This is why we need to keep reading beyond the first chapter of the Gospels, because using the same slogan as Rome leaves us with just way too many questions and a whole lot of confusion. So continuing in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus and His disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, He entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at His teaching, for He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Just then, Jesus was interrupted by a man who was deeply troubled, who cried out, What have you to do with me? What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him, and the afflicting spirit shook the man violently, and came out crying with a loud voice. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, what is this, a new teaching, and with authority? Okay, great. A new teaching, which means that maybe this isn't the same old formula for success. This good news might be different. Additionally, this exorcism, whatever it is, addresses our most pressing concern. Is your good news at odds with this spirit of violence, this violent spirit that has taken over this man? And if so, if you are at odds with this spirit of violence, have you come to destroy? Will you, like Caesar, use violence and destruction to bring peace? Isn't that how it always works? But Jesus, with just words, says, be quiet and come out of him. This man is set free, which reveals an important difference in the good news. Jesus brings peace by casting out this spirit of violence. Jesus brings peace through healing rather than through war. Jesus' way of love is in contrast to the world's way of coercion and force. So, in this election year, what do we do? (laughs) It's important that we pay attention, perhaps, to the way that each candidate and party articulates their sense of good news. And then whether or not that good news aligns with our sense of what good is. Not everyone, a lot of people actually experience Rome's good news as not-so-good news, which is why it's even more important that we pay attention to the proposed actions and policies used to bring about whatever vision that is being proclaimed. Because actions and policies do have a very real impact on very real people living in our real world. Now, I wish I didn't need to say this. I, like, I really wish I didn't need to say this, but this is the world we live in, and it's not that uncommon of a, of a reality, but it's, it's important for Christians, I think, and for a pastor to say this out loud, that, that we need to be careful about not ascribing divine titles and divine authority to our politicians, to our political parties, and to our nation. Does that surprise you? (laughs) Policies are important. Elections are important. Voting is important. Democracy is important. All of these things are very important, but presidents are not saviors. Presidents are not God's, and America is not God's chosen people. Does that sound crazy? (laughs) So in this election year, with all of the anxiety and conflict and chaos that may be a part of it internally and externally for all of us, Perhaps we can move through this year through 2024 with a a little bit more peace by paying attention to Jesus' good news, to whatever that looks like, to how Jesus' healing and feeding and welcoming and loving good news stands in contrast to those who would seek to wield power over people or over us. How does Jesus' words, how does Jesus' actions have a real impact on real lives, real people in this real world? And then, maybe we can ask, how does the good news of God prepare us to live thoughtfully and well, even in an election year? Should be fun, huh? (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, guide each of us this year by the light of your love, making us instruments of your hope, your joy, and your peace. Amen.